0: Thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for some time looking at the uh, letter of St. John, his special insight into your son and his ministry and the nature of our faith uh, is very beneficial. So Lord, we ask you to be with us over the next few weeks in your son's name. Amen. Okay, well, we've broken down, there's five chapters in 1 John five weeks. The first week, we're going to go into chapter two, and then treat the rest of chapter two next week, and that will make everything somewhat even. Try to break it at a natural uh, a natural place. But otherwise, we'll be making our stops at, at chapter breaks. Um, there's not an awful lot that could be said about 1 John, background-wise. It nowhere in the book mentions that it's by John. But if you've read the Gospel of John at all, you go, oh, this is written by John, no question. And and the church never thought otherwise. It was not assigned to somebody else, and then someone figured it out. So um, uh, John the Apostle, probably writing from Ephesus, he was Bishop of Ephesus later in his life, uh, and he seems to be an older man just from the town and how he is addressing uh, the saints, my little children, my beloved children. Uh, there seems to be a, a sense of that and, 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 a, and a more, you might say, a more steeped spirituality uh, to the point where people have problems with some of the things he says because he says such drastic things <laughs> that uh, um but again uh, possibly because he, he was uh, well mature in his faith. Uh, the way uh, is generally approached, the way I've generally approached First John, in uh, the later part of the book uh, it lets us know, chapter 5, that uh, I've written to you so that those of you who believe in Christ may know that you have eternal life." Um, And that seems to be a thematic, end of the book, uh, like a conclusion, I guess, but it would all tie together at that point. People will see a series of means by which you will spot what is and is not good, not just good action, but what is and is not a good evidence for you regarding your own salvation, and for you, regarding other people's salvation. You know, primarily you regarding you, secondarily, uh, false teachers, Uh, how do you tell who's not in the camp, who's not um, with us. And so so some basic, uh, we'll try to point out those, obviously, as we go by, so that When, uh, nowadays, when uh, the theological questions may be different than the ones in John's day, um, they're still uh, making the same denials. They're still avoiding Christ the same sort of way. Well, um, the first chapter is a very short, nine verses long, ten verses long. But you'll recognize, uh, uh, I have over here on the right-hand side a bit of Gospel of John chapter 1 and you'll see the similarity. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this, that our joy may be complete. A few things that are common. One, from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. End of verse 1, concerning the Word of Life. You know, one of the big things you'll find is, and I did some of this today, as I was looking at some of the themes, I just go back to John and and look for the theme in the Gospel of John and you'll you'll see that this is the other end of this man's ministry you know, know, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, he writes the one commentary on the life of Christ whereas the other three are largely biographies of the life of Christ. John is more of a commentary of uh, of spiritual import, not just a record of the spiritual things Christ said and so John has always been uh, untying the very insides of what Christ is about for, uh, for the saints. And here, he is... Um, there's one long, uh, I don't know if it's a run-on sentence, but it's a long sentence, three verses of it. Um, it's, there's this great declaration of and claim of first-person uh, witness. We were there, we saw it, we heard it, we touched it. This is a proclamation that, that we are making of the eternal life. Not of eternal life, your eternal life, but the eternal life that was with the Father. Also out of John 1. Was, the Word was with God. So the eternal life was with the Father. And was made manifest to us, and so Christ's manifestation, the Word of God, the, the and the same sort of idea was. The, and you, you'll find that it gets into the same themes in verse five and following about the Lord God being light, and John was bearing witness to the light, and he was not the light. Uh, um, but you have the same. You have the same themes. But what's interesting in a moment of you might say introductory uh, um, there's a grandness to the way he's saying this uh, it's almost like a hymn but he gets to verse 3 and he says we proclaim to you so that I put in red so that because it gives the reason I'm doing this the reason we're doing this is you will have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father. Um, come on in. Um, the, uh, uh, I'll move that guitar again. We sit that chair. Looking to see what John is trying to do. Uh, there's that ring chair right over there, if you'd like to grab it. Um, we just, we just started, we're down to about verse 3. Um, that the purpose of this great declaration, John has been preaching the gospel since the Lord ascended, and, um... He is making his declaration about the nature of his relationship with the gospel, with Christ, what the purpose of who's behind it, God's behind it, Christ's behind it, Christ is eternal, Christ's the word, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The end desire is that something be established in us who hear the message that would bring us into a state of fellowship with those who gave the message, and their fellowship is with God Himself. So um, the, that's the you might say the vague gain. Um, it doesn't say anything about the nature of the the path that will take you there at the, at this point. It's just saying that's what my our purpose was is to get that unity that is um, going to produce this kind of connection. And he says, okay, that we've, we've, we had this relationship, we saw all these things, uh, we testified to these things for this purpose, that others would be brought into this fellowship. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This also is, un, you might say, unduly vague. You know, God is light. Um, didn't the Zoroastrians say that? Ahura Mazda, their god, is the god of light. That's why Edison Mazda, when Edison made his light bulb, was sold by Edison Mazda, because light. Um, the god of light. Oh, everybody likes to have their gods be the god of light. Apollo is the sun god. Um, well, god is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, you have to remember that we, we don't quite know who John is writing to, but they are people to whom he has had a ministry. Um, And it is undoubted that it is writing on the back of the Gospel of John. And uh, in the Gospel of John, John treats a lot of these basic things repeatedly. I had to trim out whole bunches of verses about, um, well, look, John 3.19, after the big John 3.16, And this is the judgment on the side column there, that the light has come into the world and the men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. Now, if you have a background in John, if you are people that have You might say grown up in your Christian faith reading the Gospel of John and John then writes and says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's not vague. It has to do with righteousness and unrighteousness. It has to do with Christ being the light. The light has come into the world and you have to ask whether or not, uh, back in verse 9 of chapter 1, the true light that lights every man was coming into the world. This is the message we heard and we proclaim. Now, so there's this connection between God and Christ, the apostles, and the audience. The desired end is that they would all stand in the same place in fellowship. The apostles and the Lord are already in fellowship, and they are proclaiming the message they heard from the Lord to us. There's this continuum of message and a desire of a continuum of fellowship and a continuum of the standard of that fellowship. Because the message we proclaim, there is no darkness at all in God. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We are in a situation where he wants to be sure that we not, don't start making a different standard for being a Christian. A different standard for calling someone a Christian. The standard of the message is, the thing that was desired, is three-part fellowship. You know, Christian to Christian to God, you know, or Christian to apostle to God that it be based on the, the the quality of God, of his his state of light without darkness, and it doesn't permit that I claim to have that fellowship while I have darkness, because in him there is no darkness at all. The state of fellowship um, doesn't allow for that, because the fellowship requires that I be I, I manage to uh, Uh, shed the darkness. If I walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. So this fellowship that John desires back at verse 3, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ, that fellowship is resting on how light my walk is. If we walk in the light, in the same way he is in the light, not my own light, not my own devising, not my own illumination, not my own choices and claiming they're Christians, but God's, then I can have that fellowship. Over in uh, chapter 8 of John, verse 12, Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life begin to realize that not only is the darkness and the light um, the ground of fellowship, choosing whether it's going to be dark or light, Um, but, and not only is it an evil and righteousness question, the dark being evil and the light being righteousness, because that was back in chapter 3. People love darkness because their deeds are evil. If you do evil, you hate the light it's a it's a good and bad situation but it's also synonymous with following Christ or not he who follows me will not walk in darkness so it's a one of the big problems not a big problem of uh, the questions that come up in, in John, there seems to be so little truck with sin. You know, the sin doesn't. Uh, yeah, later in the book, you know, it, it says things like that. Anyone born of God does not sin. And that quoted you know, out of context give people nightmares. But um, but you, we have to realize that the the nature of the light is righteousness. It's for the sake of this fellowship. And it's following Christ. Part of the walking in it is the following of Christ. The seeking out of Christ. The imitation of Christ. Uh, Whatever light he exuded in a righteousness, he uh, is for our benefit to follow. Now part of that, I don't want to read into the text right here, but it says in the next line, the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Part of Part of the righteousness of Christ that I follow, or, or I, I, I try to walk in, is in his, you might say, his atonement, is in his sacrifice for sin. It's in his um, realization that he, as the innocent uh, God dying, was providing <clears throat> what some people call substitutionary atonement, a substitute for our unfaithfulness. uh, some Christians get into major arguments about what kind of terminology you use there, but whatever the case his death atoned, his death turned aside the wrath of God, his death um, paid the price for our sin however you want to phrase it, but that's part of his life that's part of who he is and what we ought to be um, uh, following that kind of light, not just the you might say the, the active Um, positive obedience and mimicry and imitation of his life. Because the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So, first off, there's a, at least the beginning point, uh, and I'm going to, some people will use that verse to say, if you can at any time say you don't have sin. Christians are always sinners. That's sort of the perpetual worm theology or perpetual depravity that not just when you're a non-Christian are you depraved, but even after you're a Christian you're depraved. You're never going to get it right. Well, if that were the view, the next verse wouldn't be because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well... If that's true, if I can be cleansed of all unrighteousness, I, I could be in a state without sin. I mean, I, I, I can bow my head, take care of my sins, and be in a state of righteousness. Uh, but uh, so I push. I push the. Uh, uh, if we say we have no sin in verse eight, we deceive ourselves. Um, that this is a part of the. Um, um, you might say, the more basic gospel orientation of this task here. To establish fellowship between the people hearing the message of Christ, the apostles, and the Christ and, and, and our God. And and we, we, his, his grace is there to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So don't say you have no sin. Uh, I've told the story before of my, my mother and the uh, son of a Buddhist priest who approached her in Japan and and wanted to become a Christian, and she said, well, you have to confess your sins. He said, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a bad person. She said, well, Christianity is only for bad people, so you come back when you're a sinner. And he went away and realized in short order that he was um, and became a Christian, but, and I heard someone talking just the other day of wanting, might've been my father, wanting to put the list of all the qualifying sins for Christianity on uh, like a billboard or a t-shirt or something like that. Okay, only the murderers, the, the, only the thieves, only the liars, only the adulterers, only those people get to become Christians. Only sinners get to become Christians. People have to be ready to humble themselves to their own condition because they're looking for, and, and part of this is, is having it clear in our mind what we're seeking. You know, sometimes we we run into somebody who's more... You know this mystical piety of John, and going, I don't think about my Christian life this way. This this sense of being in the light and not in darkness, and and being in fellowship with those in light, and being in fellowship with God because He is light and I have become light. That, that we don't use that kind of nomenclature. Um, we maybe we ought, but a lot of times Christianity has slowly, either by church uh, decision or creed or whatever, started to define the line between Christianity and non-Christianity at a different point. Maybe valid points, maybe theologically true points, but this is sort of John's point, if you want to think of it at least that way. This is the, the real issue as far as John is concerned, that it's the state of wickedness of man the lightness of God without any darkness at all, and the message of his Son, the eternal life who was with the Father, the word of life, coming down to us and a message that was preached because of that. But the message preached isn't Jesus died for your sins. That was the, that was the narrative that had to go on. That was the storyline that, that uh, played out to achieve this. But the task God was about was to express his lightness without darkness, and to provide a way to reach this fellowship. Provide a way to reach this fellowship. We talk about it, when we talk about peace with God, that's what it is, the reconciliation with God. When we say atonement, I mentioned this before, the word is just a combination of the two words at one. At Atonement is really what the word is. And we have turned it into a word called atonement, but it's that one meant it, bringing fellowship to happen. And it's a, um, uh, it's kind of, you might say, crucial for, for our own, the kind of walk we have as Christians, that we measure things out the way the apostles measured it out. A little later in the book, it basically says, you know, you can know those who are of the faith by who listens to us. We have to listen to the apostles. It's one of our assurances of salvation. Do we listen to the apostles? Do we f- define our sp- salvation on the apostles? So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It, it, not only is if we have sin, but if we aren't moving, if we're not following Christ into the light, away from sin, because the next verse is, okay, I, I've had sin, but how can I be in the light? Well, because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And I, I, that was the task. I need to be made light from darkness. And so I had to be forgiven somehow. So God gave his son to forgive. Um, it wasn't especially necessary that, that the religion of truth had to sacrifice the Messiah. But it's what God had to do to get this done. This is what has to be done. You have to make men righteous. You have to make them light in order to get the fellowship. So if we confess our sins, <coughs> he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, some people think this is also an evangelistic passage. Some, you know, it's a truth that is universal in that whether it's a pre-Christian, you confess your sins, he will forgive. If after you're a Christian, you confess your sin um, he will forgive that's the you know, um, some Christians do think that that uh, some Christians think that um, the death of Christ the forgiveness of sins the con- converting confession you know if I uh, hear a gospel message preached at a church I walk the aisle sign the card really truly give my life to Christ his death covers my sins And as some have told me, past, present, and future. That's how they delineate it. And so they get a little bit, uh, I've had people get a little torqued with me about if I talk about confessing your sins as Christians. Because they say, I'm already forgiven. I just have to acknowledge, every time I sin, I have to acknowledge that I'm already, you know, I I just have to just go back and start again. Because the sin was already forgiven. Um, you know, I've met some dear Christians who hold that sort of view. I don't think it's right. He, he repeats the thing: if we say verse ten that we have no sin, we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, so if, whether or not this passage on confession is just pre-Christian or pre-Christian and post-Christian is not really the theme that that John is working at. He's not trying to create that and answer that question. He is trying to answer the question, are you light or are you darkness? Have you been honest with yourself about the darkness? And have you removed the darkness by the blood of Jesus, his son? Have you been cleansed? Have you confessed? Have you been, had all unrighteousness forgiven? Now, before we go further into the passage, that's you know, in terms of thinking that this is the task of God. Light and not darkness. Fellowship with all things light. Um, Eschewing all things dark. Removing that further and further away from himself. There's a reward in that. When it's being expressed this way, uh, when you get metaphors being used for our salvation, uh, the word of life, uh, um, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. I am, you know, whatever. There's, a, there's something about it that, that you could do with. It. It's a reason that the metaphor is not saying, I am the brick. What? I am the brick? Well, cornerstone maybe, but, but or, or I am the two by four of heaven. Nobody picks those. But when it's light or when it's um, the word, we get to realize that, that there is much in it and perhaps even um, more than you want to pursue intellectually. Uh, Not because it can't be pursued intellectually, but some things are laid on your plate, um, you might say, with a certain reverence, a certain wonder, a certain... uh, Lewis was talking about this in his preface last night uh, where he's talking about the nature of myth and that sometimes allegorical things belie the ability to explain them. You can only feel them. You can only get to know them. You can only sort of encounter it. You can't sum it up definitionally. The church very early on got caught up in summing up everything definitionally and lost, you might say, this this mystery. Whatever the case, think of it either intellectually or um, uh, mystically in terms of this as reward the reward just light becoming part of your life you being light not dark and secondarily you having fellowship with all those who share that light and all those who share that light having fellowship with god the father and the son okay the to meditate on the nature of that what the what, what's the benefit of why light? But maybe you want to follow that intellectually. It talks about walking in the light so you don't walk in darkness. That's what Christ says here in chapter 8 of John, Gospel of John. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Well, the, the emotion of that, it's not just the word light, it's the practical value of light. I like to think of antiquity where there is no city light. No electrical power, only little oil lamps for any light at all. There is nothing, and when people put out the oil lamp in the center of Babylon, it was pitch black in the center of a major city. You know, because there was no difference between the lights being out in the city, and the lights being out in the desert. You know, it's just it's just black. It's dark. There's no latent light uh, other than the stars, and the moon. You know, you you. You really had to, you really valued the fact, I had the, um, we had the power go out, or a fuse blow, actually, a uh, circuit breaker. Um, and you begin to realize, I'm taking a bath in the dark, you know. Um, everything is, all these habits, so you become more acute, or you're saying, I really have to rely. Or you're going looking for the fuse with the flashlight. You're so grateful for a flashlight that you don't even think about having a flashlight when you, when you all the lights work. We begin to realize this image is a such a valuable thing in life. Uh, the relief you have when the lights flicker back on again after a power outage, just ah, and the furnace kicks on and the heat comes on and you can walk to the fridge and nothing is thawed, you know, warm. Um, everything comes back. Everything is understood. Everything is seen to be in its place. You can live life in your world in an orderly fashion. Now, I'm extending this past what the text suggests. Um, And the, the the text suggests that there's a value to walking in the light and following Christ as the light. Um... And that there's a negative negative value to walking around in darkness. And I think you can draw your own pictures, but for me, everything can work and be accomplished in the light. And everything can be accomplished correctly in the light. And this is what Christ brings to us, the ability to see our lives as they actually are, everything where it ought to be, everything measured according to where it should be, not with poor eyesight, not with blindness. John is not talking about, he wants us to have a, a, a state of desire for this end and that he makes a comment about confession, that we can run off and have a lesson on confession of sin, which would be good and valuable to us, but sometimes that's why we come back to John 1, 9, is we're talking to someone about confession of sin, not about the wonder of a, lit, a well-lit life. That we have been placed back into the place where we can see what's going on in our life. If we thought more about the light than we thought about confession, no one's going to argue that Christ is the light. They might argue that Christians need to confess. But once you start realizing that many Christians are in the dark or are or, or not dealing with sin, uh, many unbelievers are dealing with the dark, and you talk to them, you go, these people have... Um, what was it in a sermon on Sunday? Uh, the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where it says the eye is the lamp of the body and if the, if the eye in you is dark, how great is the darkness? And we are dealing in a world with blind people walking around in a decaying world without light. Jesus Christ and is that light and that however you get there, Obviously it involves Christ, it involves the message he gave, it involves him cleansing you of the darkness in you, but you've got to get to the light, it's got to be righteous, it involves following Jesus Christ, and if you have to cry out to him for forgiveness of sins, you can be assured that he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins. A little less of the, uh, a little less of the, um, uh, what's the word, um, You might say the faithful... You know, I grew up in a home where my father has a very great ministry on dealing with people confessing their sins, getting people right with God, getting people back into the light. And uh, that's what he desires. But a lot of people will pick that notice up and start pushing it towards uh, just this functioning, like, okay, we got to pray because we're told to pray. We've got to confess because we're told to confess. We've got to read our Bibles because we're told to read our Bibles. Not, I really want to know the light. I really want to be in the light, and I I, I don't want to go on another second without the light. What must I do to be saved? (laughs) Perhaps if we meditated more on the reward of this phenomena that John is talking about. Now back to the whether or not verse 9 does apply to Christians. If we move on into chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin So, obviously talking to Christians so that you may not sin, the point here is to keep you in the light keep you and just as a side, when I said that, keep you in the light it, it reminded me of many decades of living in the Christian world and how people will refer to things like peace with God or salvation or being in the light it's a cliche that 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 has gained just verbal traction but not actual traction and you got to strip it of that that cliche status um, it has meaning the light is not you know Jesus is a glowing figure in your mind that, not that kind of light he is not like um, the sun he is by what as Lewis says you know that by which I see everything around me He is my definition. He is my illumination of everything I see. He sets the standard and he understands what's going on. He does the right thing and I follow him because he shows me how things are. Um, And the point of this is to keep us from sinning against God because sin is darkness. Righteousness is light. But then he says, but if anyone does sin. Before, Back in verse 8 of chapter 1 or 10, it may have been pre-Christian saying we have no sin. But you, you, you see that he wants you to be honest about the presence of sin in your life, but not deny the potential of holiness, because you can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And the whole point is so that you will not sin. That's the point of the, I'm, why I'm writing it, Is so that you don't sin. That's the intention, is to not have people writing, you know, uh, you know, using credit with God all the time, but being able to pay with cash. They're not getting into a hole, they're paying with cash. So we may not sin, but there's still grace. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, as you know, Christianity's been around about 2,000 years, and Christians have managed to fight massive theological battles on the very few verses we have gone through. Uh, uh, some of you might not know about, um, but, oh, well, look at the, the verse 2. He is the expiation for our sins. The NASB says propitiation for our sins. Um, those two words, people, you know. They die on that hill. I personally don't care. <laughs> it, it's, it seems to me. Oh, why are you? Expiation means the uh, payment for sin, atonement. Propitiation means the turning aside of wrath. It it, it, it it mollifies the wrath of God. One pays for sin. One mollifies the wrath. And so people build their theological camps heavily. On whether or not you use the word expiation here in the RSV or propitiation in other translations, as if uh, this was worth killing fellow believers over. There's probably one of them that is what John meant, but certainly atonement is cons- is, is is contained, you know, uh, in propitiation. As uh, whereas if. Uh, Expiation doesn't contain propitiation, but propitiation does contain expiation. But don't go down that road. You know, don't go down that road until because one of the point is to bring us into the light, so that we would have fellowship with the rest of the people in that light. And if we were about the light rather than about the confession or about the prayer or the Bible reading or going to church or which church or whether it was expiation or propitiation but we're more concerned about the light, we would be so thrilled to be in that state as well. And then, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole world, and so the fight then erupts between the the um, limited atonement camp and the uh, universal atonement camp. Did Christ, die for all sins everywhere, singly and severally. Did he die only for the sins of the elect? Uh, another thing to fight over, because people are thinking about the passage in its own right, what can be brought out of the the, the, the scriptures as an incantation like it were a, uh, a magical line that if I have the right translation and the right moment in a theological debate, I can slip that puppy in. And I've done it myself. I've argued with people of Calvinist... Uh, understanding and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world but, the, but John's not John is pre determinist free will fight he's pre catholic reform uh, reformation fight he's pre anything that we have created out of this he has a point that he's proclaiming that God is light he wants us to have fellowship with that light And he has just let you know that if you happen to have sin in your life, there is a path by which the great grace of God in Jesus Christ is available to you. If you do sin, you shouldn't, you oughtn't, you don't have to, but if you do, there's a path out. This is the way, when people believe in holiness, a lot of people who don't believe in holiness suggest that You're arguing for a Wesleyan second experience of grace where you get sanctified and you don't sin anymore. Like sinless perfectionism. Well, God would like you to be sinlessly perfect. He told you to be sinlessly perfect. He gave you the possibility, the power to be sinlessly perfect. But he's also realistic. He also says, I have a way for you to deal with sin if you do. Let's work on not doing it. I have a way to deal with it, and it's the great grace of God. This is the first, verse 3, is the first verse of assurance here in the book. And by this we may be sure that we know him. This is the way he tends to phrase it throughout the book. It won't always be this way, but a lot of times he'll say this, by this we may be sure. If we keep his commandments. Now, it didn't tell you by this you may be saved if you keep his commandments. He says, this you may be sure. Because the whole point of the gospel was to bring the light of God and your fellowship with God and the rest of the saints into a place and you want to be sure you're there. Being sure you're there will be by you measuring your faithfulness to God's imperatives. You might say, how bright is it in your life? and you shouldn't be sure if it isn't bright. I was uh, having a, a witnessing, not a witnessing, a counseling situation with a person who had sinned very badly and this person was sure they were a Christian and that made me pretty sure they weren't. They were counting on the experience, they were counting on the history, the narrative, Somebody church told him. I was looking at the sin. How could I be sure with that sin? And how could you still be sure with that sin? It was unconfessed. It didn't get confessed. It stayed unconfessed. The person walked around, a massive sinner, sure he was a Christian. But we can only be sure if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, he's not saying necessarily. You could read it a a number of ways. It says, the sureness we have is from seeing our holiness. My claim is something I cannot claim. I know him. Not that it isn't true. A person, obviously, we learned just a few minutes ago that a Christian can sin, right? It's just uh, back in verse 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I could be a Christian and have a sin. But I have to admit the degree of darkness in my life. I have to um, not claim that my knowledge of God, remember because God is light and in him is no darkness. I know him. To the degree I have this blackness in me, this blindness, this incorrectness, this is not what he is and in him is no darkness, so you don't know him. It doesn't say necessarily necessarily you're not saved. It doesn't say that he is claiming a propositional truth I am in fact saved. He is making a claim he can't make. It would be a lie for him to claim to know. He cannot claim to know God when he is not light. But whoever keeps his word in him Truly, love for God is perfected. That's it. I want you to remember that. That comes back in, in later parts of 1 John, uh, the perfection of love. that, That this task of the light, the task of the message of God, the task of the light, the problem of darkness, how do we resolve it? How do we stay light, get rid of darkness, all, that's the the, the the task of the Christian. And to have integrity about our claims regarding it. So we don't start claiming, well, I'm in the church, or I was baptized. Um, or I... Uh, we had a guy living here years ago that, that subscribed to immoral magazines, and, and his argument was he sang in the choir. I mean, I never thought I'd hear that. You know, he was okay because he sang in the choir at a local church. And I said, well, you can't live here <laughs> if you're going to subscribe to Dirty Magazine. Uh, but the uh, the idea is that once we get this idea of light and dark and what it's resting in and what fate is resting what my life, what I follow, how I live, how I walk, is either going to be light or dark. I'm going to be in fellowship with other lit people and I'm going to be in fellowship with a God who is light. If that's the way I'm thinking about it, I'm going to pull together these this task of the commandments, not as if it was a works righteousness. We know that's not the case. This book has not allowed me to think of anything other than calling on God for the grace of God for my sins. I'm getting cleansed. Um, But I know I am cleansed. I know where I stand if the effect of light is happening in my life. If I am doing good. And if I am not doing good, no amount of claims or assurances or writing it on a stick and driving it in your backyard or someone taking a photo when you got baptized down at the river. Those are all nice uh, things for your memories, but, but the real point is how lit are you? And if you get... The, the synonym is, I can't claim to know God if I am sinning. And if I am not sitting, I can claim to be perfected in the love of God. Or, you might say, growing perfection. It is being perfected. By this second assurance, we may be sure that we are in him. Because, like I said, we may be sure that we know him. We may be sure that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, we've said earlier, that um, uh, we don't walk in darkness, back in verse 6 of chapter 1. We, we, we know that this idea of walking in darkness, and Christ echoes that in John um, don't walk in darkness, follow me. And it says here, I ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, which is the flip side of it. it's not Christ saying, follow me, but us saying we must follow him. So we might want to point out what is it in Christ. That was to be followed. The thing that, as Christ says on the at the Last Supper, "This blood is a, this cup is a new covenant in my blood." The promise of the new covenant in the Messiah, the, the 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 task of the new covenant, everything that is happening in the new covenant, falls back to the idea that this love this love of the father this love of the son this love of the saints love fulfills the commandments christ is moved by love in john 14:15 if you love me you will keep my commandments it says this later in 1 john For this is the love of god that you keep his commandments here we can be sure if we keep his commandments We can be sure if we walk the same way he walks. Jesus answered him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That goes back to there in verse 5. We may be sure that we are in him. Anyone who says he abides in him, the Father and the Son making their home with him on the basis of this love, now, I gave you the Matthew twenty-two reference. You can look it up at your own time. That's the situation where Christ is asked about the greatest commandments, and He says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second is like unto it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself." In these, all the law and the prophets are contained. Paul says in Romans thirteen eight to ten. All the commandments are summed up in this one thing, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the the ethic of the New Covenant. If we're looking for the commandments of the New Covenant, you wouldn't want to go to verse 3, do a U-turn out of the New Testament, go running back to the Law of Moses, and say, ah, the commandments. Where are the Ten Commandments? The commandment of the New Covenant is love. The following of Christ is love. It was pointed to in the Old Testament, Christ quotes it in the Old Testament. His apostles bear witness to it and say, yeah, this is what was coming. This is what was coming. And he addresses that in verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. Now, we're not sure when he's saying beginning here, even at the beginning of the book, john uses the term beginning two different ways from the beginning like way back you know the beginning of the world um or the beginning of the faith you know um christ says i knew you from the beginning um uh, these are the things we heard from the beginning Uh, so it's not always clear whether john is talking about the beginning of all things or the beginning of christ's ministry or, or something along those lines but he is saying either either way, there is, is this confusion here, he says, I'm not writing you a new commandment, it's an old commandment. Verse 8, yet I am writing you a new commandment, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, yes and no, which is it? You're not writing us a new commandment, you are writing us a new commandment. What's it going to be? Well, when you look at that commandment of love it's yes and no. From the time of Moses Hero O Israel the Lord your God is one God and you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is all the law and the prophets. ta Love. It's an old commandment. You had that from the beginning. Christ pointed it out. We followed Christ in that. He gave us an example of love. What? What can we do about that? Well, there's an aspect of it that is new. Yet I'm writing a new commandment, which is true in him and you. That that there's a special place, this newness of this love command finds a resting place. Verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness still. What happened with the new covenant was a new relationship occurred. There was no church before Pentecost. There was just all sorts of believing, disbelieving people, good and bad people. There was no church. There was no Holy Spirit poured out. There was no bond called the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, You have a new relationship to which a special love exists. John 15 In the side column, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The newness of the love command. There's the old command of love, it's not a new command. There's a new relationship in which that love is to be poured out explicitly. Christ calls it a new commandment because he wants there to be love between the brethren. Those in the light ought to see each other this way, ought to have an especial bond that is witness. Not only is it assuring to you because you love the brethren and you're following the Christ, but it's assuring to everybody else that you follow Christ. Because, he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. It's the measure of Christianity, this new commandment of love, or this new, you might say, amendment to the constitution of a righteous person. Verse 10, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and in it there is no cause for stumbling. That's a... You know Christians who are, I think they're feeling their way in the dark. It, you, you wouldn't if, if we started stressing the light, and and, and and looking up and paying attention to when it is on, when, how good is life when the light is on? How good is life when this guide of God's love in Christ, the the righteousness of Christ, the availability of forgiveness? That, that darkness, any incremental darkness that creeps in through sin, I can get rid of. I can the blood of Jesus Christ. What? He was an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I have an a, I have an a, a a a defense attorney ready to function on my behalf, because He has died for the sins of the whole world. The no cause for stumbling. when you see other morally backward people maybe dramatically morally, criminally backward, you wonder why they, don't they ever recognize, pull their heads up and go you know, maybe it's how I define my world maybe it's I don't see things correctly maybe I'm miserable or my kids hate me because I operate in the dark I'm stumbling everywhere, I'm bound to cause trouble he who loves his brother abides in the light. Verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. To not know where you're going. In John 11 it says but if anyone walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him. maybe we should focus on less you might say theological question about say a passage like this though they're there these some of these things may be answers to some of the theological questions and get more addicted to living in the peace of God. I, I, I define things that, that by peace, because I went off on that wild hair many years ago and and I know that putting life in order, is the path to peace, and spiritual order it's spiritual peace. Well, the light is what allows you to see where, what everything is, where everything is, and gives you the example in Christ of how to place it. You know, you, you have this great ability to obtain peace spiritually, and you have a great ability to walk into a ditch being led by fools who are also blind because they're not in the light either. And it's here, it goes back to this basic, he uses the example in not keeping the commandments of one that is the new commandment for the Christian faith, that Christians not hate their brother. You do or you don't. You don't hate your brother, you walk in the light. It's a fulfilling of the commandment. We to be sure that we know him if we keep his commandments. The, what's the commandment? Love. What's the explicit commandment? Love your brother. Love your God, love your neighbor, love your brother. That's, uh, and, 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 and you might say, that is, I, can, I can expand every inch of ethical demand out of those three aspects. Loving God, loving my neighbor, loving my brother. And I can know where I stand with God by whether or not I have allowed that to be the case. The grace is there, for all the sin that would hold you down, all the forgiveness that you need, and if we keep arguing against it and saying, well, yeah, life's a, you know difficult, but I, I don't think I'm a sinner. You know, I don't think I need this. I don't think it's, not, it's a matter of grace. But that was adjusted back in the end of chapter 1. Well, that is the end of chapter, well, half of chapter 2. Uh, the other part of chapter 2 we'll cover next week. Uh, down to the end of chapter two and um, um, J- first John the concepts interweave throughout the book so you got it you kind of got to remember you know hopefully I'll be able to pull something back out so but I had mentioned remember that bit about in him truly love of God is perfected because that will come back so will how we know and a number of other things but let's let's hang on Dear Lord, thank you very much for this time. We'd ask that we would think of the light, the place we stand because of what your Son has done, the example He gives, the kind of example He gives. Help us become desperate for that light. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.